welcome to the sanctuary safe space to speak from my heart i'm your host israel and my guest today is a wife mother financial expert actually super really cool person that just integrates kink into our life and i'm so excited to have her on the podcast today see aphrodite thanks for coming to the sanctuary thank you so much for having me Okay, you know, I, I just, I'm curious, I mean, you have such a huge following, but for me, I'm really curious where it started all, like, what's the origin story of Sia Aphrodite? Yeah, the making of a dom, right? Um, yeah. So, so I think there's a couple of things that led to, you know, kind of my, you know, be, being a pretty kinky person, pretty open sexually, um, and then also being a dominant um, so the first thing that I always think of is sort of my upbringing and um, my kind of cultural background, which is not from the U.S. So I was mm. born in the former Soviet Union, uh, you know, when it was the Soviet Union, and I was raised by people who don't have the same kind of, I don't know, like moral uh, structures, I guess, as sometimes people have in the U.S. around sexuality, where there is sort of religion and shame um, and guilt around it. I didn't have any of that. You know, my family was very supportive of sexual exploration, everybody was very open-minded, very progressive about it, never equated it with anything negative, always just talked about kind of safety and self-care, but not, you know, like any kind of restrictions or or any kind of judgment. So that was one thing. Um, And that started for me at a very early age, and I'm actually doing the same thing with my own kids, just sort of being really accepting with it. Um, The other thing that was really important is that I met my primary partner, very early on. So Mr. C. Aphrodite and I uh, met when he was 16 and I was 14. And that was in 1997. So it's almost um, 27 years ago. And when we met, we were both virgins, we were both very inexperienced, and we basically grew up together. I mean, we grew up together as people, you know, students, and then kind of professionals later on as you know, kind of becoming adults, but we also grew up sexually um, together. And we experimented first just with each other and then with other people um, together and supportively. Um, And he's just as sort of kinky as I am and just as open-minded. And so we, you know, we're just able to grow and support each other. And so having that kind of primary partner, um, you know, having that safety, that stability, I think was also really important. And he's also a partner in crime. You know, he's creative just like I am. So, you know, we, we always were kind of thinking of new things to have fun with. And we've continued to do that. And then the last bit, I think, is around dominance. And I think that I'm, I'm, I'm just a very dominant person. You know, I'm like the oldest child in the family, very controlling, um, very sort of alpha, um, very organized. Um, I've always been a leader, both kind of professionally and personally. So I'm always in a position of being in charge. And mm-hmm. so from a sexual standpoint, I think it's, it's similar. You know, I like, I like to be in control. But the other big thing for me, as I discovered this fairly early on, is that I don't really enjoy bottoming. Like, I don't really enjoy any kind of penetrative play. It just isn't how my body functions. Um, And so not being a bottom naturally, not enjoying penetration, um, leads you to kind of be a top, right? It leads you to a lot of femdom kinks, the, the first of which is just receiving oral sex or kind of, you know, like face sitting. Um, and so it kind of, kind of built from there. And then I think the other piece of that sort of dominance um, is that because Mr. C. Aphrodite and I had a lot of experience early on, anybody else that we encountered, you know, especially in our formative years, would naturally have less experience than us. And right. so we, we were naturally the kind of guiding, the guides, right? We were the ones who were leading. And that really just manifested forever, I think. 
Um, so all those things came together, I would say, the kind of cultural component, having that sort of you know, strong partnership, and then just, you know, being um, just naturally inclined to kind of dominance and, and leadership in a way. Um, all of mm. that, I think, came together and built, built who I am. Yeah, no, that that's cool. Um, and you guys have been together for such a long time. Uh, what would you say are some factors that play into keeping your relationship alive and so long? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question in general, because obviously people, especially in the US, we have this really high divorce rate and, um, and relationships don't seem to last. Um, I think for us really importantly is that we, because we met so young, the risk would have been that we would have just grown apart and instead we grew together. And so because we weren't already established as people, you know, if you meet your primary partner when you're in your thirties and you've already lived alone and you already are established as a person, and now you're trying to combine sort of two people together who are themselves already fully formed and quite different um, and there might be some friction in some places, right? We never had that. We, we lived with our parents and then we moved out together. So we were the first kind of, we never lived alone. We always lived together. Um, and we just developed together as people. So we're actually really symbiotic. Um, I'm, as I said, very kind of alpha professionally, academically, um, was always very uh, high achieving and so I ended up being the kind of, out of the two of us, the working professional, I'm the one that supports the family. He is much more social, kind of much more nurturing. And so he ended up the, the partner who's home with our family, with our kids. Um, and so we kind of carved out those realms for ourselves, the kind of professional realm, the kind of home realm. Um, we don't compete with each other in those realms. We support each other. You know, I'm able to do what I do professionally to travel everything because he's home taking care of our household and our family. He's able to be where he wants to be, you know, coaching sports, you know, being really active with our children because I work and I, you know, allow for him to be able to do that. So, like I said, we, we grew together. Uh, we grew in a way that was really aligned where we're kind of symbiotic. We're two sides of one whole um, and so at this point, we've built a life, you know, where we obviously like bought a home together, we have children together, we've just kind of built a life that puts us really, um, like, inextricably linked, you know, we, we are, we are a, a pair, we're, we're basically, um, like one unit. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. So even though you are two different people that love two different things, you found a way to bring it together and make it work as this unit. That's uh, hmm, that's actually aspirational. I, I I love that, and I'm like, people need to incorporate that more because, like, these days relationships are done like almost as quick as they start. But um, so you you know had this upbringing, you met someone early that complimented you. You have this symbiotic relationship. When did you, I guess, explore with other people? Yeah, um, I would say that the first couple of years, so if you're going to do the timeline, it's from when I was 14 to when I was about 16, 16, 17, um, we were exploring just together. So first, we kind of lost our virginity, right? Then we're exploring other things. This was back in the 1990s, so you didn't have the same kind of access to pornography, or you couldn't order toys from Amazon. So we literally were like, <laughs> right? 
We were reading the, the Playboy or the Penthouse Forum. We were reading Dan Savage's, um, you know, um, Savage Love column in the Village Voice. We were going into the city and going shopping at sex shops together, um, like in, in person, wow. physically. Mm. Um, and so we were exploring toys and role play and, you know, dressing up and all these sorts of things. And then at some point, it was interesting to say, you know, we actually, what about kind of other people? And, you know, there's a, a moment of sort of jealousy there. But what was re- really interesting is we approached it as, as kind of a pair, again, a unit. Mm. And we had become so experienced ourselves between the two of us um, that everybody around us was really, really inexperienced by comparison. So in other words, like, if you think about the average 16-year-old girl or, or kind of boy, right, 16, 17, they're kind of fumbling around. They're trying mm-hmm. to get to first base. Mm-hmm. And here we are having had a couple of years of really great experience together where we really know our stuff. And so it was almost like natural that we would kind of go out and, and almost teach others. And we, I mean, I mean, to be completely candid, I had a number of friends that I, I took their virginities, right? Because mm-hmm. I knew what I was doing. And he did the same thing. And so we didn't always play together. We kind of played separately. Um, you know, he played with women, I played with men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time I got into college, I was sort of bi-curious. And that was really the first time that he was really supportive for obvious reasons, uh, but not pushy. You know, he didn't he didn't try to muscle in. He was just, okay, you want to explore with other women, I support you. And of course, mm-hmm. at some point he got invited in. So that was our first experience of having kind of gr- group play, group play. For obvious reasons. Obvious reasons. <laughs> but he, he did it the right way, like the way right, that, you know, right. men should. And right. so that was our first experience of group play. And then, mm. I mean, just if you want to keep following the thread, you know, because we started playing with women, and I'm very much, again, kind of a top and dominant personality, um, mm-hmm. he bought me my first um, strap-on and, ah. and my first harness. And I actually still have my first strap-on, my first harness from the year 2000. You should have a museum of these things, like, because, <laughs> holy shit, that's a, wow, from 2000. <laughs> from 2000. It was a very high-quality harness that I think they don't even, they don't even make anymore. Um, right. And my original strap, which is a seven-inch piece, uh, which is really great. And so I was using it on women originally. um, And then I started using it on men. And so that was, I think, the beginning of the next phase of kind of what dominance looked like for me. And that was happening in college, right? Um, So it's been a really long, like, it's been a long journey. Um, It hasn't always been consistent. Um, There have definitely been ebbs and flows. There were a period of years where I was, uh, you know, having my children and they were very young where we really didn't do as much. We were not as active. So I would say we were very active for about a decade before we had the kids. And then since they've gotten a little bit older, we've gone back to being pretty active again. Wow. 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 Um, I mean, it's great that I I think having someone that you're exploring over time we're just you're both growing and evolving together so you always have this um rock you know like yeah. this home base that mm-hmm. you can always come back to so that makes it wonderful but um you know so you have this work hectic um being in the financial um world um how do you i guess how did you start finding partners that you play with yeah, I mean, like I said, you know, we years ago, it was like different. There was something called Lava Life. There was something called Adult Friend Finder. Um, there was obviously Craigslist, um, you know, back in the day. 
Um, mm. I've gotten more risk averse, I would say, just because I've kind of built a, you know, graduate degree, a career, family, like all those things make you a bit more risk averse. You're more definitely careful. Um, and then I found Fet Life, and Fet Life has been really fantastic for me because I think about it and I treat it as a community of Kingsters. Mm. And so rather than just kind of anonymity, right, on a dating site, um, I, I do think about it as a community and I look for people who are kind of focused on it as a community who want to grow in the community. And so that's how I sort of approach, right? You know, I host events um, and it's always very word of mouth. It's always like friends of friends and, um, you know, that's how we sort of build the community. There's a great community of women in mm. New York uh, now that I'm plugged into, um, and then I build my own community of male partners um, who take different roles in my scenes. So I would mm. say it's predominantly predominantly fat life, a little bit on on field, which is another app. But I sort of even there, if I meet somebody on field, I kind of bring them over to fat life. I sort of say, can you come here and, and kind of establish yourself in this place? Because I want it all in kind of one location. Um, and so that's, I think where, I mean, not, not, I think for sure, that is where kind of, we find, we find our partners is on the Fat Life platform. And it's because you're looking for that real alignment of people who are really, you know, kink oriented, kink positive, mm -hmm. um, and are focused on a community of, of kink. Okay. Let's, uh, thanks for sharing that. Let's break it down a little bit. Some of the things that you mentioned, um, like, okay, you know, being, a woman that's like, yeah, this is really not for me. So you are leaning more towards the dorm side. You mentioned face-sitting oral. Um, what are, are there other, I guess, kinks that, um, uh, that you are into? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, I, I list my kinks out, right? I, I've written a series of articles for Lifestylers magazine. Um, so the number one kink for sure is the kind of oral worship. Um, and that has all these different, you know, variations to it, obviously, you know, face sitting, but all, all types of oral worship. Um, I also really enjoy pegging and kind of anal play for men. Um, again, mm. that's part of me being the penetrative partner, kind of being mm. the, the top partner. Mm. I mean, I, I do that with women too. Obviously, I, I use the, the strap on women, but I, I like using it on men. And part of that is because it's, it's pleasurable for me. There's the friction of the harness. Um, and that's, ah. the, that's, that's the other, the other way that I'm able to orgasm right outside of oral service is, is through pegging. Um, and then I, I really, really like forced by, so forced bisexuality. I mean, we have to establish obviously that very, very few things are really forced in, in the sense that somebody doesn't want them at all. Um, because that's obviously non-consensual and you wouldn't want to be doing that. So Forced by is more like coerced or encouraged, I would say, where somebody has a latent fantasy of doing something bisexual. Um, and again, there's different variations of that. And I'm really encouraging that. And part of that is it's happening for me. It's like it's happening in my presence. It's happening because I'm watching. It's happening because I'm guiding. And the, the people involved probably wouldn't do it on their own if I wasn't there. Like mm. they would normally just you know, be with women, right? Uh, but, mm -hmm. but because I'm there, and it turns me on, and it's something that excites me, um, they're, they're kind of willing to engage in it. And, that, and part of it, for me, is almost like you're proving to me how much you desire me, because you're willing to do something that you otherwise wouldn't do in order mm -hmm. to please me. And I think that that, you know, things like pain, for example, you know, can have the same characteristics, right? You're taking pain 
in order to please me, right? You're doing whatever it is that you're doing in order to please me. So I do like I do like pain. I impact top, although Mr. C, I would say, likes it more than I do and, and does a better job probably <laughs> of it. Um, I also like bondage. I started out with just cuffs and I'm doing a lot more with rope now. So I'm enjoying the kind of beauty of rope. Um, and then and then cuckolding is an interesting one because, um, again, because I don't really bottom very often. Um, it's not like a hot wife and cuckold sort of dynamic where you're as the cuck, you're watching your hot wife partner have sex with other men and maybe be submissive to those men, but dominant to you. For me, it's mm. much more as like a femdom and then you have a submissive partner and then I will co-top effectively with sort of more dominant male partners. So it's like kind of you, you are playing, you are over t on top of two people in a way at the same time yeah yeah so then you're playing with humiliation and you're playing with um like sort of degradation right you're playing with like the humiliation of one of, of submissive males right mm. versus more dominant so for example i'll match um you know like you know sometimes an older daddy type of male with a younger like you know like like in his early 20s sort of boy and then he, the, the older male and I will sort of talk the boy. And so there's a kind of a mommy and daddy sort of uh, kind of thing to it. Um, mm. Another variation is race, right? Related, but you'll have like a submissive who's white and a dominant who's, who's black, right? And so there's a desire to serve BBC, right? And so I'll kind of facilitate that. So it really depends on the people. I mean, sometimes I will just have two submissive boys or three submissive boys together um, for me. Um, so that sometimes we don't even have a dominant male. Sometimes I am just the only dominant like male in the room. Um, but it just sort of depends, I think, on the fantasies that people have and how they want to explore them. I'm actually, we can get into this, but I'm extremely fantasy driven. Um, mm. I'm not, a, I'm not a, a kink machine. I don't like being kind of a, a kink dispenser per se. Uh, but that's only as regards kinks that I don't personally like, right? So if somebody's right. approaching me for something that I don't want, but but if it aligns with my own desires, then all of a sudden it doesn't feel like kink dispensing. Um, mm. It feels like facilitation and, yeah, and yeah. like fantasy facilitation is super hot. And part of it, I think, or I know, has to do with memory and the idea of memorability, the power of memory. So if you have someone who's had a, a, a fantasy for a long time and you facilitate and realize that fantasy with that person for the first time, they'll never going to forget you. And so if you think about me in high school where I was taking virginities, mm. those people will never forget the first person they had sex with. Mm. And then when I was in college, I was um, playing with women for the first time and it was women who had never been with other women. So that's their first sort of, you know, lesbian or bisexual experience. They're never going to forget that. Mm. And then if you, you know, if I peg a man for the first time who's been wanting to be pegged, um, that's, that's mine. I own that, right? He's, that's the first experience he's had of being penetrated by someone and it's mine. Mm -hmm. um, if someone's been, fantasizing about forced by or kind of servicing another man and i'm the person he does that for again that's that's kind of forever so i think those things do drive me that kind of facilitation of fantasy realization of fantasy and especially fantasies that are happening for the first time are really kind of delicious for me um and a lot of it i think has to do with that kind of concept of ownership the owning of memory 
I mean, you know, you're not owning people long term per se, although I have a few relationships that are kind of like master slave based. Um, but the ownership of memory is really hot. It's really exciting. So, so a lot of that drives me, I think. So in, in like this way, I mean, you are not uh, uh, a dispenser for sure, but you are this person that is etched into your memory and pretty much your life because you've given them this thing they've been searching for or didn't know it was possible. And then you brought it from their minds to the real world. Yeah. And if you look at my fat life, there's almost 4,000 photos now. And so the art piece of this, the kind of commemorating these things, uh, completely anonymous. I don't show faces. I don't show tattoos. I don't show, you know, scars or any other kind of, you know, identifying characteristics. I'm really careful about making everything completely anonymous. So it's just bodies and not mm -hmm. people. But the idea of commemorating these first time experiences or these, you know, these kind of new experiences experiences showing them is it a community exhibitionism kind of aspect to it some people want to be tagged because they're they're really excited to be seen some people want to do it completely anonymous not be tagged but that component i think of like the, the art form is really important to me too and if you look at some of the scenes i mean i'm always sort of creating new um I don't know, like new combinations, you know, or dressing people up in different ways and mm. combining their bodies in different ways and sort of setting up, you know, scenes that I haven't done before, tying people together in certain ways, you know, whatever it is, like there is, there's definitely that, that part of it, that kind of, it's not going to be forgotten. Um, mm. And you're trying to create something that is sort of unique, right? And, you know, it's easier with people who don't have a lot of experience because everything is new for them. Mm. Um, and it's obviously more challenging with people who are very experienced kinksters because there's very little, right, that, you know, you can sort of add on top of what they've already experienced. So there's that sort of, I think, um, spectrum too, where I definitely prefer um like kind of newbies um, mm. because it's exciting to be able to do those things for them for the first time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is enlightening. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. really enlightening. So um, when actually let's, you know, keep it really basic. What is kink to you? Um, it's interesting. So I think it's definitely, it's like cathartic and it's, um, it's like therapeutic. Um, I think I, I've said before to folks, you know, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't even drink coffee, like, so no caffeine, no alcohol, no tobacco, no drugs, no prescription medications. Um, I don't, I don't go to a therapist. I do exercise. That's very good for me mentally. Um, and so I think kink is kind of the place where I put a lot of my, you know, the, the daily life. I mean, I, you know, I, I work in a very stressful uh, career, you know, in finance, I'm raising children, which everybody knows can be very stressful too. Like, you know, all the real life stuff, I think I channel it into, it, like into kink. Um, and the creation of, again, sort of um, experiences for myself, right? I mean, I obviously had a lot of experiences. So you're always thinking of kind of what's a new thing that I can try, but experiences for others that I'm attracted to and interested in, um, it's just exciting. And I find that when I'm done with a scene, right, um, when I've sort of done something and um, it's exciting, like it's worked out the way that I wanted it to and the people have been, you know, really into it, um, then there's just this incredible feeling of sort of catharsis. So it's definitely a hobby. It's definitely some kind of art form because I, I definitely enjoy the kind of commemoration and then the, the exhibition of it. Um mm. 
And then, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's also some human connection. I mean, I definitely had built, you know, real, real relationships, you know, through it as well with people who want to be connected to me in a more, more kind of long-term way. Mm, mm. And how do you vet people, right? Because at the end of the day, it's still the internet, right? Yeah. And yeah. you have this high profile job, so. <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple of things, you know, one is I tend to look for people who are similar to me, who are also very conscious of their kind of anonymity, their, their real identity. So I find that a lot of, you know, a lot of the women that I, you know, kind of interact with are similar. They're very educated. Um, they have high profile jobs. They're just trying to sort of practice kink very privately. And, and they're just very aligned um, to me. Um, and then, and then in terms of men, again, it ranges, right? Um, it's, some of the younger partners are in college, um, mm. And so, but usually they're very high achievers, right? They're doing well in school. They're going to be building a career in the future. So they're very conscious. They want to protect that future career as well. And mm. then the older partners are like me. They're, they're highly educated professionals in sort of different, you know, different disciplines, people that I would respect normally, even in the vanilla world. And that's how we think about it is we keep each other safe, right? Um, it mm. gives us an opportunity to live out that part of ourselves and basically take care of one another. And mm-hmm. I've been I've been very lucky because I have chosen well um, and I've built networks, as I said, where it's like, you know, you trust someone right. and they have a partner that they trust. And so you yeah. build kind of word of mouth. And so exactly. people, you know, people uh, now, you know, we host events, um, you know, that are kind of larger scale thematic, you know, theme, themed events and people invite their partners and we kind of build those guest lists very carefully. And, mm. um, you know, people... People are quiet about it. They they obviously at some point will will figure out who I am, but they'll you know they'll keep it quiet. And so it's been you know it's been really positive from that perspective. Is that kind of vetting process of really looking for people who are similarly minded. Um, mm. You know, I stay away from. I mean, with all due respect, I have no problem obviously with people who are sex workers or people who are content creators or people who are monetizing kink. You know, in different ways. But I tend to stay away from that in my own network. So, you know, people who who have, you know, an education and professional jobs and who only treat kink as a, something fun on the side that they keep private, I would say that's how I choose my partners. Mm-hmm. 